All right, so let's, let's dive in. We are in a new series today. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, so if you want to open your um, Bible to that spot, we're going to be in Luke 19 this week and next week uh, in this series, Road to Redemption. I don't know if you've uh, thought about it, but making an entrance is really memorable. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, I continually get amazed at is the, uh, the wedding party entrances, Everybody know what I'm talking about? The, the, they, they do all these crazy dances and songs. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's memorable because it's significant, right? It's a significant moment um, and, it, and people dance. And for some reason, uh, people want to record that and to share it with everyone on earth. So now you can watch every single entrance by a wedding party that's happened in the last, you know, 10 years because, thanks to uh, iPhones and social media. Back when I was younger, before iPhones, so I know gasp, right? He's old. Wow. Before iPhones. Yes. When I was a child, uh, younger, we would, we'd actually go to a wedding and just watch it happen. And it was an ultimate, you had to be there moment because there was no recording, no uploading, no one else was going to see this moment. Um, but uh, nowadays we can share all of that. And one of the reasons people share it is because it's significant, right? It's, a, it's an event that's, uh, that's significant. The, the entrance sort of the, and the practice and preparation that goes into it is about what's happening. Um, I doubt very seriously any of you are thinking about going to work that way tomorrow. Uh, you know, going to queue up, I Can't Stop the Feeling by Justin Timberlake and just going to make your way into your job tomorrow. That might make your finance job a lot more interesting, but, uh, but I suspect you won't. Uh, and the answer to the question is why? You won't because it's not significant. <laughs> it's just another day at work. Um, but, but entrances uh, mark us, right? And, and they, uh, they stick with us. Maybe my, one of my all-time favorite entrances is, uh, actually has its history here in Boston. It's from the old television show Cheers, right? Some of you already know where I'm going. Um, but Cheers was a sitcom based on the Cheers bar downtown. Uh, don't go in there. It doesn't look like it, but uh, the television set. But um, it's based on it. And what would happen is that one of the main characters, Norm, would walk in. And as soon as he opened the door, he would say, good afternoon, everybody. And the whole bar would shout what? Norm, right? Um, and it happened like a thousand times during this, during this, this uh, series. And, and what it said is he came in as he was known and loved in that space, right? So, there, so entrances um, really speak about what's actually happening, those kinds of entrances. And Jesus today, we're, we're starting this series, Road to Redemption, by looking at Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem, the week, what's called Holy Week. If you're not familiar with what that is, that's the week leading up to the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. So this is Sunday, a week before uh, the Friday of the crucifixion. And he comes into Jerusalem uh, during the Passover. And we'll talk about more about that in a moment. But uh, what we see in this passage today, or what we'll see is Jesus comes not as the king we expect, but as the king we need. His entrance speaks about who he is and what he's about to do on our behalf. So if you'll follow along in Luke chapter 19, I'll read verses 28 through 40. And then when I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I invite you to uh, respond with me by saying, thanks be to God. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem when he, gathered, when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you'll find a colt tied on, a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away 
sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he, they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Bless, uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we look at Jesus' entrance to Jerusalem, knowing, knowing who he is, son of God, human form, it's not what we might expect, right? It's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all picture throughout the Gospels, picture this uh, Jesus as the Son of God coming in uh, human form and the rightful king of humanity. But his, his entrance doesn't reflect that, does it? It doesn't, uh, doesn't have this pomp and circumstance. He's not riding on a, on a royal throne carried by people. Uh, he, is, he is literally just riding a humble uh, colt. It wasn't opulent. It wasn't wealthy. And it wasn't even the powerful who were cheering him on, which, which as the rightful king of humanity and son of God in human form, everyone should be cheering him on. But it wasn't. It was the common people. It was his disciples and the common people. Yet, make no mistake, the way he rode in was on purpose. The very things that were happening in this moment were on purpose, None of this was accidental. None of this was, well, you know what? I just kind of got to get into the city uh, because I got to die at the end of the week on a cross. He came in at a certain time in a certain way on purpose. And this reveals to us both the character of who he is and what he was about to do. So Jesus comes not as the king we expect, but as the king we need. We'll see this in this passage. We see him as a, a humble king, a purposeful king, and a worthy king. So follow, please follow along as uh, we go through this. Uh, first, I want us to see Jesus' humility. He is the humble king, which is, which is an oxymoron, right? Or humble ruler, a humble authority. Jesus' entire life and ministry was marked by a profound humility that is really, un, it was unseen in the world then because humility was not celebrated. It was not seen as a strength in the, the ancient culture they lived in. It was seen as weakness to be humble, and even in our culture today where humility is respected, it's really not celebrated. In a weird way, his entrance was humble in a similar way to his birth. And I'll have to be honest, I hadn't really thought about the connections here, um, but, but there are some connections in the way that he entered Jerusalem. Even the phrase the people were shouting here, peace in heaven and glory in the highest echoes the birth narrative, right? In Luke 2, 2.14, the angels declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, the humble boy born in a stable was now the humble king entering Jerusalem on a donkey. His birth was lowly and simple and his ministry revealed that he had a heart for the lowly and simple. His birth was attended only by Mary and Joseph and some common shepherds, and yet his, his entrance into Jerusalem was only celebrated by common people. I have to say that in following Jesus for 32 years, one of the things that still strikes me the most, or still I wonder at the most, is his humility. 
I don't know about you, but I can think of Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I can think of him as ruling as the Son of God, uh, you know, and, and, and even coming in human form, I can, I can grasp that. But then how he chose to operate among us. Even though he was the Son of God in human form, his humility was unmatched in humanity. It's, it's a wonder because we think about a uh, the fact that he had absolute authority and yet absolute humility. You know, one of the movements today is people talk about in our culture is toxic authority, right? Um, and that's a good thing. I think it's right and good that we would hold leaders to a higher standard of, of character and integrity and the way that they lead. Um, because it can be dangerous to be a leader. We see this in, in churches and in ministries, right? Where, where a leader becomes very powerful and has a lot of authority. And uh, if, if they're not careful, and there are faithful leaders on the high level, but there are many who also fall um, because it's dangerous. But one of the interesting things is if, if you think about the most capable leader, just imagine on planet Earth, uh, the most intelligent, gifted, articulate, winsome, wise, insightful leader. Do you naturally think humility with that? Is that like, oh, those go hand in hand? No, we don't. We don't think of great leaders as being greatly humble. The truth is, uh, humility is rare in, in leaders and extremely rare in great leaders. And, but this is exactly what we see in Jesus. The Gospels are a picture of Jesus' humility. Even the Luke 19, which we're in right now, if you go back to the beginning of Luke 19, just a few verses earlier, it's a very famous story of Jesus uh, meeting a man named Zacchaeus, right? Um, and I won't sing the song that some of you remember from childhood, uh, if you grew up in church, about him being a wee little man. Um, but, but Zacchaeus was, was a, a, a tax collector in his community. He was not only just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. He had uh, resources, and um, I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. But, but to summarize the story, he wanted to see Jesus. Uh, Jesus was coming to town. The whole crowd was around, so he w- wanted to see, and he ended up climbing up in a tree, and, and Jesus picked him out out of the whole crowd and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house and eat today. That's, we're going to have dinner together at your house, which, I mean, today would be a little, a little weird, but okay, yeah, you can come over. But back then, in a culture of hospitality, and it was the way of, I mean, he was the most famous person in town at that moment, Jesus was, and he picked the worst person in town to go eat dinner with. This was Jesus honoring the most lowly person. Now, I want you to understand something very important about Zacchaeus. He wasn't a lowly guy like we think about in, in the culture, like, like he had leprosy or something. This wasn't, he wasn't a marginalized, it wasn't injustice that he was looked down on. It was justice that he was looked down on. It was justice that he was seen as evil as a pariah in his own community. Why? Because as a, as a tax collector, actually as a chief tax collector, the Roman, Roman people were occupying and oppressing the Jewish people at this time, occupying Israel and oppressing the Jewish people. Zacchaeus was Jewish. He, uh, he, he worked with Rome so that he could raise taxes on his own people and extort wealth from them for himself. And he paid money to do this. Like he actually bought the rights 
to extort money from his own people from, uh, for the people who were oppressing them. There is no moral equivalent today. There's no job that we can say, well, it's like that. It's not like that. The fact that the entire community hated his guts was completely just because he was objectively evil and unjust. And Jesus picked him out <laughs> to go to his house. What does that say about Jesus? He's, he's associated not just with the lowly and outcast, but the hated, Right? People who had, a person who had committed grave sin against, his, against God's people and Jesus chose to be with him, to eat at his home and to fellowship with him. What does that mean for us? It means that today, Jesus, there's no one anywhere one or there's no one anywhere that Jesus would not meet. There's, there's no person that you've written off in your mind as, well, that person, they're so evil. They're so bad. They're so unjust. And the fact that Jesus would never talk to them, would never offer grace to them, would never invite them to believe in him. That's humility. People talk about coming to Jesus and, and coming to faith in Jesus is important to recognize that he is king of kings and Lord of lords, rightful ruler over everything. But don't, don't miss the fact in coming to him that it's not, it's not like this only. Yes, you come before him as rightful king but he's a humble king that comes to meet you in your weariness, in your fears, in your anxieties, in your past, your brokenness, your, your worries about the future. He meets you in that. We'll see next, in next week's passage, it's, it's an amazing picture of Jesus weeping over the city. He literally says he weeps over Jerusalem. So Jesus' humility is, uh, but truthfully, Jesus' humility is not seen most clearly in his, in his ministry, but in what he was about to do, which is our, points to our next point. Uh, secondly, so we've seen Jesus as the humble king. Let's see Jesus as the purposeful king here. He entered Jerusalem during the Passover festival. Uh, he picked a time when Jerusalem would be packed with people. And I mean really packed. Um, you may not know this, but you should be aware of it and be prepared for it. In June, second week of June, there's an event in Brookline called the U.S. Open Golf Tournament. The town estimates 175,000 people will be here for the tournament. Get ready. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's, I mean, you thought September 1st is packed when people are moving. I cannot even get my mind around 175,000 people in our town of 60,000 people. But this is a little bit what Jerusalem felt like. I mean, Jerusalem was much smaller geographically than Brookline, but had a population of 40 to 50,000. And during, uh, during um, festivals, like pilgrimage festivals, like Passover, it, it, it would swell sometimes to six times its size, meaning there were 240 to maybe 300,000 people in Jerusalem. Wall to wall, elbow to elbow people. This, you also have to remember this is Asian culture, um, and I had to learn. I've learned Americans we like our space, like Westerners typically like our space. Um, but when I've traveled overseas, when I was uh, traveling uh, at a, a conference in Amsterdam and was on uh, a train with uh, mostly Asian folks, there was no space. <laughs> there, uh, whatever personal space limits you have, they are not. No one else is is thinking about them. It's just it's elbow to elbow people. So you can imagine Jerusalem at this time. Jesus comes in, and it's absolutely packed. But he didn't just come because it was packed. 
Jesus came up because it was the Passover. If you know the story of the background, the Jews were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And near the end of that, at the end, very end of that, um, Moses uh, came and challenged Pharaoh to let God's people go. And uh, God had brought the plagues. And at the very end, the last plague was the, was the, the plague of the, the birth uh, or the, the death of the oldest son in the house. And what happened that night is God told Israel, told his people, sacrifice a lamb and then take the blood of that lamb and sprinkle that over your doorpost. And then the angel of death will skip over your house. There will be no death in your house. And, and so this was a celebration of the final plague on Egypt where God's people were set free after that, right? Set free to leave um, and Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that he was coming. People were there to remember the Passover, to offer sacrifices for the Passover, and that at the end of the week on Friday, he would die on a cross as the ultimate Passover lamb, as the final sacrifice, uh, defeating the power of Satan, sin, and death. He sovereignly chose this week because it was the week for him to give his life for the crowds that were cheering him on. The whole scene unfolds interestingly, and, and, and you might wonder uh, why in the world, what is this, the, the description here of, of the cult, right? Um, it, it seems like just circumstantial, evi- uh, circumstantial information, right? Not, not really relevant to the, the storyline. I mean, the truth is the important thing is Jesus got into the city, but, uh, right? That's what we think. But, but in fact, Jesus was actually very intentional. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us, and, and there's no reason to speculate one way or the other for sure. But either Jesus knew the owner of the cult and had prearranged for this, this cult, or um, divinely inspired this owner to let his cult be taken by the disciples. But either way, there was intentionality with picking a colt, a donkey, for him to ride in on. And it's beautiful what, what this picture, what it's a picture of. 500 years earlier, the, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied that a great king would ride a colt into Jerusalem at a moment of great joy. Look at Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. should be on the screen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth." This was a messianic prophecy. This was seen as, as filling, fulfilling uh, or would be fulfilled by God's Messiah, the one who would come, the anointed one of God to lead God's people um, and to establish this new kingdom. And you got to understand the people were primed up for this. The people were primed up for a Messiah, um, not the Messiah Jesus was, but for a Messiah. And they would, this would not have been lost on them, seeing Jesus riding a colt in this moment would have certainly brought uh, images of Zechariah to, uh, to mind, um, especially in light of the fact that the Romans were oppressing them at this moment uh, and, and many Jewish people had died in, in the previous uh, years and decades at the hands of the Roman people, uh, Roman government. But it wasn't just about this prophecy of Zechariah and this image of him entering the city um, as, uh, as, as a king. In the Old Testament, Solomon entered the city in the beginning of his reign as king on a cult. 
and any and Jews would have known this image and, and would have associated Jesus with fulfilling this promise. You see, God promised to his Solomon's father, David, the greatest king in Israel's history, that one day his descendant would come and rule over an eternal kingdom. And Jesus was saying, by riding intentionally, riding this donkey, this cult into the city, I am the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. I am the king who will establish a, a kingdom from, from to the ends of the earth. I will unite the nations. And I am the fulfillment of God's promise to David. I am the new and better Solomon. So you have this beautiful picture of everything Jesus was doing and had done in this moment was to prepare um, for, uh, for dying and, and establishing his kingdom. But it doesn't answer the question, why? And I think you, you just got to go back to the end of Zacchaeus' story to see in Luke 19, verse 10, that Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that, the lost. Jesus' purpose was not just for the people of his time to come and to save that which was lost of the people of his time, but to come and to save us. That, that message, that hope of the gospel is, is the core of who we are. Jesus met me 32 years ago and it changed my life. He has met people in here, uh, met every Christian in here at some point. Last week, you heard Daniel's testimony, his story about how uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago, uh, Jesus met him and changed his heart and changed his life. He is meeting people today in this city. He is meeting people today. He is seeking people today around the world. If you've been around Koa, you've heard me talk about the fact that Afghanistan and Iran have some of the fastest growing churches in the world, but but God's also working in places like China and Nepal and across Africa and Latin America. Today, at this moment, on this Sunday, Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. He is a purposeful king. He wasn't a great teacher who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He wasn't a simple rabbi who suffered a terrible accident. He didn't die as an example to us. He didn't even die because people wanted to kill him. He died intentionally, purposefully, willfully, knowing. And, that, and again, that just blows your mind, doesn't it? That throughout his entire ministry and even riding into the city, listening to people cheer him on, he knew in his heart that he was going to die a horrific death for the sins of the world just a few days later. He knew that. And he was so humble as to embrace it. You see, believing this, experiencing this forgiveness, Forgiveness and subsequent new life in Christ is at the core of Christianity. And, and you, could go to, you could go to churches around the globe today, some in very rural villages and towns, and you could, you could look in and not understand the language and not understand the culture and see the signs of faith in Jesus. You could see the Bible preached. You could see people worship. You could hear, even if you didn't hear anything else, you could probably hear the name of Jesus because it doesn't get changed in other languages. It's just Jesus in most languages. You, you, could, you could see people worshiping. You could see people, you could see baptisms. You could see people celebrating communion together. You could see repentance. You could see prayer. All of these things, signs that Jesus has saved, see, sought out and saved the lost. You see, what we offer as a church and the core of who we are, our core, core value of the gospel, is not good information. It's not good insight. 
The gospel is not wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom that comes with it, but it's not primarily wisdom. The translation, literal translation of the word gospel is what? Good news. News is declared. News is information you declare to inform others. And that's what the message is today to the, the, and how Jesus seeks and saves the lost today. He seeks and saves the lost through the message. When that good news is shared to you in this room here today to know that, you're, that Christ has sought you out and that if you want that today, if you want him today, he is available to you. And he is seeking you out in this moment. So we've seen him as the humble king, the purposeful king, and let's look at the, him as the worthy king. The crowds of the disciples are right here, right? I mean, what they, they were singing and shouting and, and, and declaring was right. They didn't fully understand what they were saying, but, but look at verse 37. The, the whole multitude of his disciples, and then in the other gospel accounts, it says the whole crowd uh, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Again, this is actually a quote, part, not all of it, but, but it's rooted uh, phrases from this are from Psalm 118. They're reaching back into the Old Testament and saying, this guy's fulfilling that. Jesus is fulfilling that. And it's awesome because if you read the rest of, the, of Psalm 118, there are so many uh, phrases, so many verses that show up through the rest of the Gospels. This is a messianic psalm pointing to the coming Christ. John adds some detail in his account, John chapter 12, verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Hosanna literally means save, I pray, or save us, please. This is where Palm Sunday gets a celebration. I know you're thinking, Today's not Palm Sunday, I know. <laughs> the series just worked out this way, so we're going to, uh, next Sunday is technically Palm Sunday, and then Easter but, but Palm Sunday was the idea of the palms being laid down before Jesus. And, the, and they were also laying from Luke. We see them laying down their cloaks before Jesus. Think about this moment, though. The excitement and joy in their hearts and minds. Now, again, they're kind of sadly disappointed at the end of the week because they, they, don't, they don't know what's happening. But in this moment, you know what they think Jesus is there to do? To usher in the kingdom. This is literally what, what it says just a, a few verses earlier, back in, early, uh, in, in chapter 19, it says, and they were expecting that he would establish the kingdom. And so they thought, here he is. It's the king. It's the, it's the, the new David. He's going he's gonna to be a military messiah. He's going to come in and he's going to throw off this Roman rule and reestablish God's people in God's land under God's rule. That's what they were hoping for. Now, I don't think they all would have articulated it in the exact same way. Um, there wasn't some clear understanding of the Messiah for everyone. But they definitely, there was no question about what they all wanted. I love a little detail that Luke adds here in this moment. He said, verse 39, because the Pharisees just love poo-pooing on everything. Um, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? He answered, 
I tell you, if these were silent, these disciples were silent, they weren't shouting or declaring my praise, the very stones would cry out. What is he saying in this moment? He's saying, I'm so worthy. (laughs) And this is the beauty. He is so humble. And yet he's so worthy. He isn't humble because he, he is ungifted, untalented, and he's just like, well, you know, who am I in the room? No, it's this beautiful tension, isn't it? He knew he was God in human form. He knew he was the the Messiah, that he was about ready to die for all of Israel and and, and all of God's people across time and space. He was going to bring in a new and eternal kingdom. And in this moment, as humble as he was riding his, his colt, he's like, this praise, it's appropriate. I'm worthy of this in this moment. And he says, in fact, if they stopped, these stones would start to cry out because somebody's got to declare my praise. And if people won't do it, I'll get me some rocks up here. It'll do, right? What, a, what an image. Jesus is worthy. We declare this. This is why we, why we gather on Sundays, as we, as we come together around the gospel on Sundays, it's because Jesus is a worthy king. We sing because Jesus is a worthy king. We pray because Jesus is a worthy king. Do you know why it's so important we come together? It's because we don't just declare this vertically to God. Because you can go do that and you should do that all week long with your headphones and, or in your car or wherever you are. You should be declaring God's worthiness, Jesus' worthiness in your heart and out loud with your voice whenever you can. But we do it together here, why? Because there is a vertical element that every person in this room needs. You need to hear people declaring Jesus's goodness to you. I need to hear it. When we sing, we sing not just vertically, we sing to each other. When we just sang firm foundation and he won't fail, right? Like I'm, I'm saying that this way, but I'm also saying that to those around me. I'm saying that across this room. And you know what happens in that moment? That scripture actually says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And I think this is what actually happens. That the spirit moves, right? That's why we went through Ephesians, just finished Ephesians. And in Ephesians 5, why the filling of the spirit is so associated with singing and making melody and worshiping God together. Let me ask you a couple questions. Before I close, do you worship Jesus in a way that would convince anyone that he's king? Do you worship him in a way that others would see him as worthy? Do you think your worship pleases him? As we move into our time of response and we're going to sing and we're going to pray and we're going to take communion together, will you do it in such a way that that points to Jesus being worthy or does he need to get some rocks in here? Because if God's people don't declare God's praise in a worthy way, God will take his hand off of them because they've lost sight of who he is. Remember what we talked about in Revelation and the passage about um, the church at Ephesus last week? They lost their first love. One of the ways you know you love Jesus is you find him worthy worthy of all your heart and all your soul and all your body. Today, Jesus comes as a king. 
we didn't expect, but the king we need. And he comes, he came not just 2,000 years ago into the city of Jerusalem, but he comes available to you and I today. That was the whole purpose. And he's not indifferent right now. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding, sending the Spirit even across this room in this moment. And maybe you've never had an experience with Christ. You don't know where you stand with him. And, and, and you're like, I, I want to know this. And you need to hear, he's seeking you today. The, answer, the question is, will you answer him? Will you respond to him in faith? Will you repent of your sins and look to him as your king, as your savior, as your Lord? We're going to move into a time of communion and, and response. And the Passover meal is, is awesome. Was was really kind of just a backwards looking event. They, they looked backwards at what God had done to deliver them. But the beauty of the meal of, of communion, of the Lord's Supper, is that it is both a backwards and a forward looking event. We look back to the cross. We look back to the Savior who in, on Holy Week, Friday of Holy Week, died an excruciating, horrible death on the cross, atoning for my sin and your sin, and then rising from the grave three days later. We look back to that. But with the same hope and, and, and messianic hope, if you will, looking for his return, like the, like the disciples were looking for Jesus to establish his kingdom at that time, we look forward to the day that he will return again. He's promised. He's promised us. He will come again. And it is closer right now than it was when we began this service. So as you take communion, if you're a follower of Jesus, look back to what Christ did for you. Repent of your sins. Turn away afresh and anew to Christ. And then look forward with hope to the day that he doesn't come in marching on a, on a donkey, on a colt, but he splits the sky open and establishes the new heavens and earth. If you're not a Christian or you're not sure where you stand with Christ today, this is the one part of the service we'd ask you not to participate in. This is really for those who have crossed that line of faith, who have experienced that new life in Christ. So we'd, we'd encourage you to just sing where you are, to sit and pray where you are, to take your connection card that's next to you. And you can just write a prayer request or you can mark on there that you'd like to, for one of us to follow up with you, to meet with you, to help you in this journey. Or maybe you need to commit right now to join Christianity Explored in, in a few weeks. We want to help you in that journey any way we can. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray, and then we'll respond together. One more detail. Sorry, I forget this sometimes. I don't know why, but uh, we do take communion outside. So if you're new, uh, anytime over this next song, um, just make your way out. Not everybody at once. Um, out the side door, and there's communion stations outside because we're not allowed to have food or drink in here. Um, and you can take communion out there and then drop your... Um, trash on your way back in. So let's pray. Jesus, we're thankful that you're a humble king, a purposeful king, and a worthy king. And that as you entered the city of Jerusalem to the cheers and to the rightful praise, you did not get caught up with it. You knew what you had come to do for us. We thank you for that today. We thank you that we can look back to what you've done as we take the bread and take the cup, remembering your body and your blood broken and poured out for us to establish a new covenant, an eternal covenant with us. And we look forward to the day you'll return. Our world is broken. We watch the news and our, our hearts are broken. 
So come, Lord Jesus, come soon. In your name, amen.